They're in there praying. I guess a little quiet worship music was taking place. And they stayed there. And then um, one student uh, evidently ran across the field in front of the uh, university over across the street to the seminary and came into the seminary president's office and said, something's happening at Hughes Auditorium. You need to come over. Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. An engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. My name is Brian. Welcome back, listeners. It's been a little while. We've uh, taken a, a couple weeks, I think, off here. I know, Brian, you just got back from Israel. It sounds like it was a fantastic trip. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed the Cross the World podcast episode that we did. That was a, a lot of fun. Uh, I think connection issues played a little bit of a role in maybe some of the editing issues that I had with that episode, but it was still a lot of fun to record me being here and you being literally across the globe. Yeah, we had a great trip and it was fun to try to do that, uh, to get a little bit of the feel of being in Jerusalem, in Israel. I think we were around the Sea of Galilee when we made that recording. Hats off to you for patching that up because I do know there were some connection issues. Hopefully that's not going to be true today. But we had a great trip, got back on uh, uh, Saturday the 18th. And uh, another reason for the delay wasn't just recovery is, unfortunately, my daughter, my youngest daughter, had some a real health setback again, somewhat of a relapse that we're working through right now. So thanks for all the listeners who pray for my daughter and uh, Carissa. And if you could continue to pray, we'd be very grateful for that, that she would um, heal and that uh, the physicians that we're seeing would be able to really um, identify the cause of some of these setbacks. But um, we're back at it and hopefully we won't be uh, having as many breaks as we've had uh, recently. Yeah, I agree. And we continue to pray as a family for you all and Carissa. Definitely encourage the, our listeners to continue to pray for the Fullers. Thanks, Ryan. So given the fact that you have this situation going on, we are recording this through our Squadcast technology platform. Uh, I will say that if you hear some other editing issues, it's because we're having a little bit of a problem with this platform. And so apologize for that if there's some overlapping between Brian and I. But we're going to jump in today and talk about a topic that is a little different to what maybe you expect. We had mentioned that we would do a recap of Brian's trip to the Holy Land, and that would cover a couple of episodes. We are still planning to do that, but we're going to take a quick pivot and focus on something that's a little bit more current events in relation to what you've probably heard about the Asbury Revival. And so, Brian, I know the university in Kentucky, there was this massive event that took place where a number of individuals uh, were in the chapel and ended up staying in the chapel and worshiping the Lord. And I know that this is actually something that's happened here at this university in the past as well, I think back in the 1970s. So, what I was hoping is maybe to start, if you could go into a little bit more detail on what the Asbury Revival is and what happened in that university. You bet. Um, maybe before I do that, I wanted to throw a question back at you. What's been your experience or your idea when you, when you hear the word revival thrown around? I'm curious. I'm going to tell my thoughts maybe 
um, after you, but uh, just the way you grew up, I know you were saved later in life, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, when you hear the word revival, Ryan, what do you imagine? What do you think about it? Yeah, this this is not the right perspective to have, but this is the only thing that comes to mind. And and I think the the revival that's happened throughout history is much different to what I'm going to share. But what I think about is the, the tents in the middle of the field with the preacher that's standing up in front and telling people that he's going to heal them and having people come up to the front and paralyze people standing up and, and all that. So uh, probably a little bit different to what actually happened in Asbury, as well as what a typical revival is throughout history. But that's kind of what my perspective is. So you kind of think, it sounds like you think of these, well, they're not televangelists, they were kind of the precursors to the televangelists where you come to town and, you know, people are having these divine healings and, you know, maybe there's some type of other spectacular gifts of the Holy Spirit that are talked about. So that's kind of what you envision. That's what I envisioned before hearing about the Asbury Revival, yes. Fascinating. I grew up in a a church in the South, of course, and we would have revivals that were actually on the schedule. They'd call them that. So you would see on the church sign, Ryan, uh, revival at Eastside Baptist Church, and then they would have the date. And so revivals were actually placed on the calendar. They were called that. So, And there was Hmm. the full anticipation. There was oftentimes... A lot of prayer, promotion. Um, you'd have these handouts that you would give to your neighbors and your friends, inviting them to the revival meetings. And usually they were every night. Now, when I was growing up, it would start on Sunday and then it would go all the way till Friday of the following week. So you just go all the way. And on the evenings, they were at like seven o'clock at night. You'd have about a half hour to 45 minutes of singing. And then this evangelist would get up and preach. And, you know, that was revival. And uh, I always thought, okay, so revival is something you can actually schedule. You can place it on the calendar. You can promote it. You can get your special speaker in. And uh, voila, you have revival. And probably another time that that sticks in my mind of something like revival and kind of my thoughts about it, because I would hear a lot when we would have these meetings that, you know, obviously there was an opportunity, a call for people who were unsaved to say the sinner's prayer, to walk the, the aisle and come down front. And there was a lot of emphasis on Christians getting their lives right with God. And so a lot of the preaching would deal with particular sins. I mean, I remember we used to say that preacher shucked the corn. I mean, because <laughs> they, they would really, you know, go after it. And, um, so and they would be encouraged to come down to the altar they called it um and the altar is basically the steps up to the platform at the church but you would be invited to come down and pray pray around the altar and i remember there were a lot of a lot of emotion in those meetings and it seems now that i look back at it uh, i don't know how intentional it was but it seemed like there was quite a bit of working at the songs that were chosen uh, the people who sang them, the way they sang them, uh, the way things were were laid out, was to try to build kind of to a climax of a of a of an emotional crisis, and then when the emotional crisis got to its crescendo, people would be like really pushed to make some kind of decision, and I think the time I mo- noticed it the most was I was actually at a week of camp, 
And I, I was actually, I believe I was saved at camp. It was the same camp, but it was a different week. And one night for the evening service, the evening service just continued. So, so usually those would get over at like nine o'clock. Then you could go to the snack shop and they might have an evening game. And then you go back to your, your cabins and go to sleep. But that night, Ryan, the service just kept going and kept going. The invitation mm. song, they just kept playing and kept playing. And people were coming down to down the aisles. These they were all teenagers. And there, there was just a lot of crying. I just remember people weeping. And then they started giving testimonies or, or they were, you know, testimonies, kind of a Christianese word. But they would give these stories about what God had spoken to them about. And there were like 10, 15 guys who said, God's called me to be a missionary or a preacher, pastor. There were girls that were saying the same thing. And I was like, okay, man, this is revival. This is like, this is it. And I just remember that night, there was so much emotion. I was emotional. Every teen I knew was emotional. I think if you were talking about like a spirit, it was a spirit of of brokenness and we wanted to live for Christ. And so I don't think it was all like fake or all contrived. But I look back at it. That was probably in 19, yeah, like 87. But not one of those people that I know of. Besides myself, and that's not to pat myself on the back in any way, um, is actually in ministry. And and many of them aren't walking with Christ and have no semblance of any testimony for Christ. And I only bring that up because I remember that night being so emotional. And I was thinking so much must have happened. I mean, God really visited us. This is a revival. And and now that I look at back at it, you know, what, 30-something years later, I think a lot of it was just simply emotion, and it, and it wasn't really a movement of the Spirit, because I don't remember anything about the preaching of the Word that night or anything that was eternal. I just remember a lot of emotion, and it didn't last. So whenever I hear about revival, I only share that story because I find myself just a tad bit cynical when I hear about things, because I, I've experienced a almost full-bore emotion that was contrived, that um, really wasn't substantive, and I don't really believe was of the Spirit. And so I hear these things, and sometimes my first reaction is, okay, we'll see. (laughs) So that's all to say, that's my view of revivals. And of course, since then, I've been able to study revival history and church history, and even see some of the revivals in the scriptures, and um, it, it has changed my view about what revival truly is. You know, I know you'll probably talk about Second Kings and the revival from the Old Testament in a little bit here, but I'm curious, just to follow on to your story, do you think that the emotion, and we don't know what God is doing in those situations, right? He certainly could be working in so many people's hearts. I guess, do you think, though, the emotion is just a building on one another's emotion, right? You see one person crying, then all of a sudden you start feeling this emotion to cry. And then um, I, I almost wonder if there's just this pile on of emotions amongst all the people that are in that scenario. Yeah, I, I do kind of feel that way. You know, one thing is I was a youth pastor for nine years. And even when I haven't been a youth pastor, I found myself often involved with uh, teenagers or young adults. And one thing I've learned about teenagers, young adults, having been one and having worked with them, is you can you can get teens to become very emotional 
about something, but you only have a, sh- a small window. Once it's burned over, they're not going to get emotional about that to that extent ever again. <laughs> so I've seen like this, everybody's crying, everybody's moved by this. And by, you know, a week later, everybody's like, why were we so upset about that? And, and if you try to, if you try to keep it going, um, it, it's almost impossible because it's almost like once the energy or the emotion has been expended, it, it can't be recharged on that same topic. And it'll be interesting to see in terms of the Asbury revival. And this was mostly with Generation Z that are in colleges now, somewhere between the ages of what uh, I think Generation Z is something between, um, I think we consider them all the way from the uh, like 15-year-olds up to uh, 20-somethings right now and forget what the one behind them is. But either way, I, I, I think time will tell if, if this was simply emotional. But I have noticed that with young people. I noticed it with myself. And so we did build off each other's emotions. When I'd see somebody else crying, I mean, it was like, man, man, this is amazing. I've never seen that boy cry before. And so... You know, that led to this boy crying, and before you knew it, everybody was crying. Well, let me just, you asked the question about the Asbury Revival. Just, you gave a good uh, high level, but basically what happens on February 8th, at I think 11 o'clock, Asbury University, like most small Christian colleges, have a mandatory chapel service that the students, undergrad students, have to attend. And that usually is two or three days. I think they have three days of mandatory um, chapel that you must attend. February 8th, I think, was a Wednesday. Um, I was, of course, in Israel. And it wasn't until a few days later that I heard about it. But the uh, speaker was Zach Merkrebs. Zach works for a ministry called Envision. It's a Christian and Missionary Alliance ministry that's focused on developing missional leaders but anyway, he's kind of a favorite. My understanding is he's kind of a favorite chapel speaker. He's an assistant coach to the men's soccer team there at Asbury. And his message, I've listened to it, and you can actually pull it up on YouTube. It's only about 26 minutes, maybe in a few seconds. He was continuing a series, evidently, um, on entitled Love in Action from Romans 12. And this message was kind of interesting because... He starts it off by asking the student body, Ryan, he he starts it off by saying, do you love me? And um, he just kind of lets that question hang out there. And you can tell that the audience is kind of like, okay, that's an interesting way to start. (laughs) And then he goes through Romans 12 and sort of the middle of that passage, it talks about love is not hypocritical. Here's what love is. And, and he's basically laying down the law, which was fascinating to me because when you're looking at the, or listening to the message after you know what took place afterwards, it was, it was fascinating to hear him lay it out because he basically came to conclusion, nobody can love like this. You know, this is, this is what we're supposed to love like, but nobody can do this. Try it and you'll mm. always fail. So, so he took the law and he really laid it out. Now, again... I wouldn't want anybody just to critique one of my sermons. I'd hope that they would listen to a few because I'm sure that in the full body of the sermons you regularly preach, you you always include the gospel. What wasn't happening afterwards is there was no like gospel proclamation in terms of 
the way that you're able to love like this is you is you need Christ and um, he empowers you to love like this. At least it wasn't very clear. But nevertheless, he, he really built and he at one moment he was talking about people who have sinned against you and hurt you, spiritual leaders who've hurt you. He kind of dug down there. Um, he actually stopped in the middle of his message and talked about praying for God to give you grace if you've been hurt by some spiritual leader. And then he ended and the worship team came up and that's when, you know, they cut off the feed. So the sermon was over and I found out later that he texted his wife, Ryan, right after his sermon was done. And his little text message was this, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. (laughs) (laughs) Latest stinker, I'll be home soon. And, and little did he yeah, know. And then and then when he was interviewed about it later, he, he said, I totally whipped the sermon. That was his assessment, but it certainly wasn't the final assessment. Eighteen students remained in the chapel following his sermon. And evidently, after about an hour or two of that those eighteen, uh, some reports it was nineteen or twenty, but nevertheless it was close to that amount. They're in there praying. I guess a little quiet worship music was taking place, and they stayed there. And then um, one student uh, evidently ran across the field in front of the uh, university over across the street to the seminary and came into the seminary president's office and said, something's happening at Hughes Auditorium. You need to come over. So then that led to some of the people that had stayed after went ahead and went to class, I guess, at like noon. And they heard singing when they got out of their 12 o'clock class. So they went back to Hughes and realized, wait, something's happening. And I guess this, well, one of the guys, his name is Zeke Atha, he and a couple other friends started going and interrupting classes all across campus, saying you need to stop your class, come to Hughes Auditorium, there's worshiping happening at Hughes. No, there's something happening. There's a revival happening. And then the president, Kevin Brown, sent out a one-sentence message email to the whole student body and faculty and said, there's worship happening in Hughes. You're welcome to join us there. And so I guess the crowd on that day got to 500, 600. And then there were about 50 that stayed through the night. Next morning, day two, um, it starts filling up. Classes are canceled. And um, it, it it just started to balloon. And I think that Hughes Auditorium only seats about 1,500 or so, and they maxed it out. And then day three, four, it starts spreading through social media that something's happening. And um, I guess they they were starting to count. After day like six, Ryan, they were having like 15,000 people on campus each day. So they had to open up two or three other buildings, chapels from the seminary to house these people. I think it was like 22 different schools, institutions, Christian institutions that were sending people there. And so about day nine, I think it was, we were still in Israel, of course, and and there was, they had to start restricting it and saying they were only going to allow in Hughes Auditorium if you were 26 or under. So, they were trying to keep it student-led. And, um, they refused like some big name media people that wanted to come and do interviews like Tucker Carlson um, because they wanted to keep it, you know, focused on they were trying to be good stewards of it. And I respect that, you know, when you hear what they were trying to do, 
And and it just went on. And finally, they said, we're going to conclude this on February the uh, 24th, which is a Friday. And that will be the last, what they called outpouring services. And these were just basically going through the night. They did make a rule, I guess, in the second week that the Hughes Auditorium would be closed from 1 a.m. to noon. And then everything started over each day. But that's basically how it ended. So it ends on that Friday. And then they were trying, they said they were going to try to have it relocated where they could return to classes and somewhat uh, normality at Asbury. Um, but there was no real location ever announced. So um, another ministry tried to have something last Sunday night from 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Rupp Arena. And um, I watched quite a few hours of that one as well as during the week when I could get the feed. So, so that's basically the um, description of what took place. No, I appreciate that. I actually didn't realize that it went on for as long as it did. I knew it was multiple days, but that must have been a lot of administrative work that was done behind the scenes, like on the fly, too, to make sure that, you know, things were cleaned up, to make sure that if they're doing it in multiple buildings that they have a worship team up on stage that are able to, to manage through the worship part of the process, uh, just must've been a really intense administrative effort throughout that time. But I yeah. think logistically it was very challenging. My understanding is Wilmore, Kentucky has a grand population of 5,999 people. I don't know if they've added mm. one since I, read that demographic and they're at a clear 6,000, but it, it's a small town. And when you got 15,000 people coming into that town every day for like 14 days, I guess the police had to set up a, I don't know what you call it, not a war room, but they had to set up something on campus to try to manage these crowds. And they started having people go through metal detectors when they go into these various auditoriums because they didn't want anybody, a bad actor to show up. Yeah. But it's interesting, Asbury, and I think you mentioned this at the beginning, Asbury University has a history of what they have chronicled as revivals. It's kind of fascinating to think about. I mean, they have like six or seven on their website that they cite of revivals that are similar to the one that took place, you know, for two weeks from February the 8th until February 24th. Yeah, I read about the one in 1970-ish time frame that happened. Uh, I hadn't had a chance to to look through. I think there's even some video footage of that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you, you go um, through there on that on their website. You go through it, and again, it's fascinating because every one of them except one. So they had one in 1905, one in 1908, one in 1950, one in 1958, the one in 1970 that you just referenced. And then this one in 2023. And they've all, except for the 1958 one, this is just fascinating. They all happened in February, Ryan. Hmm. Every one of them. Wow. So, I mean, I don't know if it's wow or if it's like how. <laughs> is it wow or how? I mean, so um, they all happened in February. It's just curious. That's crazy. And Asbury, it's just, again, if you don't know much about Asbury, I think you have to take in the context with things that happen like this. It's important. You know, First John 4, I always think of, that tells us that we're to test the spirits to see if they're of God. So, I don't want to be accused of, but I'm certain that sometimes you will be. If you try to critique or you try to evaluate and just 
try to be discerning when things like this happen. Some people will accuse you of being a Pharisee or or, or, or throwing cold water on something. And I, I just think, though, the scriptures do um, commend the people of God to be discerning. And Asbury University, it was originally um, called Kentucky Holiness College when it was founded in 1890. And you can tell that it was founded by a Methodist. His name was John Wesley Hughes. And the auditorium was named after him. He was the founder of the school, but he renamed the school from Kentucky Holiness College to Asbury College just a year after its founding. And the reason is because Francis Asbury is, and many of our listeners will know this, Francis Asbury is kind of known as the father of American Methodism. John Wesley evidently you know, commissioned him to um, promote Methodism here in the United States. And um, he was a circuit-riding evangelist, but he had a lot of the same methods that later on Charles Finney would have. And so Asbury College, now Asbury University, is part of what we refer to as the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. The Wesleyan Holiness Movement essentially is a belief that you can experience a second work of grace. And this is important when you think about the location of this movement. They believe in a second work of grace or what's called entire sanctification. Sometimes it's called, Ryan, uh, Christian perfectionism. So what they promote is that you can get a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it will lead to perfection. It will lead to complete sanctification in this life. So they don't look at sanctification like many of us do as progressive and that we will continue to put off the old man, be renewed, put on the new man until we're glorified. They believe you can actually reach that. And one of the ways they believe you can reach that, and this was promoted by Francis Asbury in his revivals, is that you need a crisis. So a crisis is almost the same thing as like a revival. Some moment where everything emotionally comes to a head and that there's a tipping point and that tipping point can lead you into this Christian perfectionism. I just think it's fascinating to think about the background of Asbury, its founding, its purpose, what group it's in, when you're trying to evaluate exactly what is what went on there for those two weeks. That's crazy, uh, especially when you consider our understanding of perfection and only one human ever being perfect, uh, that is Christ. That's, to your point, very fascinating that there's a different perspective out there in the Christian ideology. So, Brian, we have uh, reached our limit here for today. I know we had a few other questions that we wanted to get to, but we're just going to have to extend this out into a couple of episodes. I guess one preview, though, for our listeners, and you had shared this with a group of us the other night on uh, revivalism and and what are some of the attributes that you would typically see in a revival, and Second Kings points those things out uh, pretty clearly in relation to the the Bible is central in a revival that the fear of God is also renewed in a, in a typical revival and. I know you'll get into some of those other points here in the next episode. So I think 
this is probably a good spot to wrap. Did you have anything else to add in relation to the Asbury Revival? Yeah, just a teaser is I, I hope that in our next episode, we'll be able to distinguish between what's often referred to as revivalism versus a true Holy Spirit revival, which John Edwards would talk about revivals being the conversion of souls. But his grandfather, Stoddard, who was referring to what happened in Hampton um, in the First Great Awakening, he said that it was also a rededication. It was God reviving the hearts of his people. So we'd say that a true biblical revival is both a rededication, a renewal in the life of believers, but also it will include regeneration, new people coming to Christ, faith in Christ. But I, I do want to end on there's a lot of things that are very encouraging that we heard about from the Asbury Revival, um, but there's also things that that concern me greatly um, that I think we are going to want to talk about at our next episode. So let's leave it there, but I hope that in chopping these up, we don't uh, leave the wrong impression that we're saying everything that happened at Asbury is to be um, dismissed in any way. Uh, I just think like most things that happen, we have to say, Lord, help us to be discerning. Rejoice with that, which is good, uh, but also uh, point out that which could be in error. Well, my name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. God's word is true and God's word is clear.